Um, Genesis 17 is on page 22 of this Bible and right near the front of the other one too. So <laughs> this, um, so this sort of story about the covenant that we were talking about last week continues. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come after, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is your my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give her, her you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Would, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If 
Only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will make sh- I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in the household and circumcised them as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on the same day and every male in Abraham's household, including including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. I had a um, funny conversation last night. Um, David came into the study and said, so, Dad, uh, what are you preaching on tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, it's about the circumcision of Abraham, David. (laughs) Okay. That conversation didn't last very long. (laughs) I uh, was intrigued when I looked through the sermon roster to find out what I was preaching on and uh, what Scott had given me. Thanks, Scott. (laughs) I'm sure we can find some encouragement today, friends. Let's come before the Lord in a time of prayer now. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word that guides us in life. And we pray that you'd help us to find some encouragement from your word this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When the introduction of your outline, you'll notice I've got the word signs there. And in particular, I wonder if you've ever worn a badge before. Have you got a badge that you wear? And I wonder what that badge is a sign of. I first became uh, acquainted with a badge when I was uh, heading up the hill here to school as a young primary school kid. I uh, came from a family that, where my mother said, you know, you can't go to school looking like nobody owns you. Uh, And so I had my shirt tucked in, shoes shined, and I wore my school badge, a yellow and navy blue Port Macquarie PMPS public school badge. I think it's the same one now. James has got one. And they had two words on it, honour and pride. And as I put that badge on as a cheeky little kindergarten kid, uh, I felt like I belonged. I thought, this is, this is my school and I'm, I'm glad to wear this badge that reflects that uh, I belong here. I was, um, I was very proud to wear that badge too. I thought, you know, this is This is really showing something of of who I am. Uh, And I I wonder if you've worn badges before too. Were you a a Cub Scout? 
Um, maybe you've been an outstanding crew member at McDonald's and uh, you had a badge to show you were the crew member of the month. Or maybe you've got a, a Rotary badge or a, a Probus Club badge, something like that. Badges can be worn as a sign of who we are and where we think we belong. And today, in the passage before us, uh, we come to terms with a, a sign that God gives his people in the past. It was a sign that had meaning for God's people, uh, but it certainly wasn't worn as a badge, as uh, we'd wear badges today. We're going to turn in Genesis 17 and come to terms with the sign that God gave his people and think about the significance of it. But we're also going to think about signs that God gives us, signs that God gives Christians and what those signs say about our stage of salvation history as well. Well, we see in this chapter that God confirms his covenant promises, his covenant with Abraham. And throughout this chapter, we see that it's God who's in control. He sets the terms for Abraham and his family to live by. And at the very start of this chapter, even before further announcements about the confirmation of God's covenant, Abraham is challenged to live before God and God's covenant. We see that in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. This idea of walking before God is the idea that he's to conduct himself as if he's, he's always in the presence of God. Can you think about that? Wow. Conduct yourself in the knowledge that you're always in the presence of God. This is, this is uh, much greater than uh, when you've been told by your mother to you know, be on your best behaviour when you go to your friend's house. It's more serious than that. He's one who's walking before the Lord. He's always to think of himself as in God's presence. That's how he's to live. And he's challenged to be blameless. Here, this is um, words that would be used of animal sacrifices that were to be free from blemish. And the expectation is he's going to have a commitment to God that's characterised by some in integrity and dedication, devotion to God. These words are reminding Abraham about his responsibility to live as God's man, his responsibility to live in relationship with God. Well, how does Abram, later Abraham, do at this project? How does he actually go at carrying out this call for obedience? Well, do you know, we actually get an assessment. We get God's assessment of how he does at this. If you turn over in Genesis chapter 26, and if you're doing a bit of Bible flipping there, uh, we find God's assessment, it's given after Abraham dies and God speaks to his son Isaac. In verses 4 and 5 of ch chapter 26 of Genesis, we read, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me. 
and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. Abraham is challenged to live in response to God and God's covenant, to walk before the Lord, to be blameless. And we're told by God that Abraham obeyed, obeyed God and kept his requirements. Abraham took his responsibility to live as God's man seriously. In fact, we've just been doing our series on James and we're reminded in James 2.23 that Abraham was called God's friend. And so Abraham could be described as one who was covenantally faithful to God, covenantally obedient to God. He took that relationship seriously. But was he absolutely faithful to God? Well, no, he wasn't. And we know that, don't we? Because we read about his life through the pages of Genesis and it becomes clear that sometimes he doesn't trust God. He takes matters into his own hands rather than trust the Lord. Abraham fell short of perfection and faithfulness to God. And it's only as we come to Jesus later on in God's unfolding story of salvation that we meet the one who is altogether without blemish. For as we trace the storyline of the Bible forward into the new covenant, we see the one who comes who's absolutely faithful to God. That's something the writer to the Hebrews picks up on in chapter 4. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus experienced the temptations we experience, and yet he was absolutely faithful to God. Obedience matters, and Jesus always lived faithfully. He was the one that Peter describes as without blemish. Peter notes that we've been redeemed, bought out of a a way of life that's empty, and our redemption isn't with silver or gold, but Peter notes it's with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Abraham was called to be blameless, to be without blemish, and yet even he needed Jesus to come to be his sin-bearing sacrifice as well. And God in his grace has provided us with Jesus who redeems us from an empty way of life. He is our lamb without blemish. And by God's grace, isn't it good news that we've actually been redeemed to live a new life, one that's no longer empty, lived in futility, distant from God. We live a a rich new life in Christ as God's new people. And this new life that we've been called to it's at one level it's similar to abraham's as well we are also called to a life of obedience too aren't we as christians that's what paul tells the church at rome in romans chapter 1 verse 5 as he talks about his call that comes from jesus he says through him which is jesus and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. 
as the people of the Lord Jesus, we've uh, enjoyed this gift of salvation from our sin, this, this gift of life with uh, the living and true God. And we're called to this new life as well. And now that we are the people of God, now that we've been brought into his family, we've been called to obedience, the obedience that comes from our faith in Jesus. It's still a feature of our lives. It's not in order to get into God's family. But now that we're part of the people of God, now that we're in God's family, there's a life of obedience that we're called to, to walk with the Lord, just as Abraham did. In Genesis 17, we capture something of what it meant for Abraham to walk before the Lord and to be blameless. We see something of how this works out in the next few verses when God speaks about his covenant. And God's covenant is about a relationship and it's about promises. And we see that there in verses 2 to 8. We'll read this little section. Then I'll confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Here God speaks about confirming his covenant in uh, verse 2 and establishing his covenant in verse 7. We know from chapter 15 in Genesis that God cut a covenant with Abraham uh, to give him an assurance that he was going to carry out his promises and that Abraham could be sure that things were going to work out. In today's passage we see that God confirms or establishes this covenant and it's meaning that he's going to give fuller expression to it. It's going to show what's now going to happen as a result of that covenant And from this point on, we're going to see that God is going to act to bring about his descendants of promise. That's what we're going to see unfold. And in view of that action that's about to take place, that God's going to bring about, he changes Abram's name to Abraham, to be the father of many. And although land is included in these sections of promises... The main focus is the, uh, the, the, the descendants that are going to come. We're told that there's going to be nations that are going to come and that even kings are going to be raised up through this line of promise. But what exactly is uh, this covenant that God is talking about? What's the essence of this covenant? What's it supremely about? Well, the answer is, we see there in verse 7, it's about a relationship to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The idea is that God's got a special relationship. It's a a bond. He is their God and they are his people. That's their identity. That's who they, they are to think of themselves as. When I went to 
Port Macquarie Public School, I stuck my badge on and I thought of myself as a public school student who was proud to be there and belong there. Well, Abraham's, you know, he belongs more significantly than that. He belongs to the living and true God. That's his God and, and Abraham is, is his man. Well, we see that God takes control of the future. He's called Abraham to obedience He's changed his name in view of the fulfilment of these promises and he reminds Abraham of who he is. He's a member of the family of the living and true God. And he's given a sign of that. He's given a, it's not a badge, but he's given a sign of who he is. That God is their God and they are his, God's people. We see that in verse 11. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you the sign of that relationship they have with god now at this point we might be wondering well okay why this sign of all the signs to give why was it this sign that's given to abraham what quite a few things could be said here but i'll restrict myself and a couple of ideas could be pointed out Prior to this point in the story, uh, Sarah doesn't have a baby. But it's after this sign that she's fertile and becomes pregnant. And some commentators have pointed out that it's significant that Abraham's required to trust in God for this child of the promise to come through his wife, Sarah, even though she's 90. And not to trust in his own strength or his own resources. And so some commentators point out that he's, he's, cut, he's cut back in the place of his own resources and his own strength. And this sign's the one that's given to him to remind him that God's going to be the one who's going to bring about his plans and purposes. God's going to be the one who's going to bring about his promises. And Abraham, with this sign, needs to remember to trust God. It was important to keep this sign as well, reflected their, their acceptance that God was their God, they were God's people. And there's a warning given there uh, against rejecting the sign too in verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, he's broken my covenant. To reject this sign was to reject the Lord God. It was rejection of being one of the people of God. But let's move now forward into the new covenant and think more carefully about what sign God gives to us as his people. Well, Christians are certainly a, a baptised people, aren't they? Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, Make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And Paul in Romans 6 interprets this sign of baptism, of Christians being united to Christ through faith, baptised into Christ's death. Paul says in Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. This 
is a sign that we take on that we're united to Christ through faith. We've, we've died to sin. We've been buried with him. We're raised with Jesus. And yet that's not the only sign, is it, that Christians have that they're the people of God today. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by our love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so, what about our church? How are we known? Are we known as people who are Christians because people see our love? It, it, that should be a sign. It's not so much we'll have a, you know, I've got my church badge on. Hopefully it's when I don't have that on, people know that um, I'm a member of God's family because of my love. And, and if not, that's the challenge, to repent from being wicked and work at showing that love the love that Jesus had for us. That's another sign for members of the new covenant. God confirms his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17 and his promises to Abraham continue to be reinforced and God brings about his covenant promises in a very special way, doesn't he? We see that in verses 15 to 27. And God also said to Abraham... As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I'll bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at age 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. The descendants of blessing will come through Abraham's wife Sarai. That name means something like princess and there's a change in her name to Sarah. It's uncertain what the main differences in meaning there are, but at this point there's a, a turning point in their history with this change of name. And there's astonishing news. A baby for Sarah, aged 90, and Abraham, who's 99 years old. And as far as they can see, this is not going to happen, isn't it? It's, it's kind of... A, you know, as they say, it's, it's crazy town, that expression. Uh, and so Abraham laughs, doesn't he? He can't hold back the laughter and that becomes the name uh, of this baby, Isaac, which means laughter. We're told that Ishmael will find something of, of God's blessing as well and yet God's covenant promise, promises and blessings are going to be passed on through Isaac. And it's through Isaac that all kinds of people, all nations, people from every place can become the people of God and enjoy God's blessing. We see it specifically through Isaac there in verse 19. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Also in verse 21, if you're following along, but my covenant 
I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. And when he'd finished speaking with Abram, God went up from him. And this chapter 17 closes then with Abraham's obedience to God as he circumcises uh, himself and those within his household. And Paul comments on Abraham's faith in Romans 4, 18. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Well, in God's unfolding plan of salvation for his people, we see here at Genesis a type of fountainhead for a river of descendants that flows from this point forward. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob later become very numerous by the time we reach the end of the book of Genesis. And as we know, it's only after the deliverance from Egypt, after the Exodus, that they enter into the promised land. We start to see these promises to Abraham being fulfilled more fully. But what becomes of these promises to Abraham about all kinds of people who would be blessed through him, that nations would come from him and kings? Well, the Apostle Paul actually picks up on this uh, outworking of God's plans to bless Jews and Gentiles, to make all kinds of people uh, the people of God today. And so these promises in Genesis chapter 17 also have significance for us as well. Paul makes it clear that nations refer to the Christians from various backgrounds. He does that in Romans chapter 4. I'll read from verse 16. Therefore, the promise, this is about being justified or right with God, about being an heir. The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, which is the Jews, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. What Paul's saying is that those who've come to Jesus, whether they're uh, Jews or Gentiles in their background, if they don't have the law, it doesn't matter. They've got the faith of Abraham. And those people who come to Jesus are the ones who are justified, get right with God and become part of these, these nations that have been spoken about in Genesis, part of the new people of God. This is um, how he describes it in, a little later in Romans 4. He says, The words it was credited to him were written not for him, Abraham alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so we see that Paul sees that those who come to Jesus enjoy getting right with God and, and people from all kinds of different backgrounds become the nations that enjoy God's blessing, uh, that become the new people of God that ultimately comes through faith in Jesus. 
There's also a note there about kings that come from Abraham as well. In Genesis 17, the Lord noted that kings would come as descendants as well through Isaac. And as we see uh, God's plans unfold throughout the, the Old Testament, we see that kings do indeed come from Abraham's line. In fact, uh, the Apostle Peter picks up on a very important king. He talks about how King David was given a promise that there would be a king on his throne forever. And uh, Peter speaks in Acts chapter 2, 29, and, and speaks about the kings that have come. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, seeing what was to come. He spoke about the resurrection of the Messiah, that he wasn't abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did he see his nor did his body see decay. What he's saying here is that this uh, Jesus, the Messiah, this is King Jesus. And King Jesus was the one who didn't rot in the ground, but was risen. And he sits on the throne of King David to reign forever. This, this king is a significant king that comes from Abraham because he's the one who pours out God's spirit and changes lives. He changes our hearts. He softens hearts and inclines people to turn back to God. He's the one who grants people repentance. This king, the risen king, Lord Jesus, is the one who pours out the spirit into our hearts. And so we see that these promises in the past to Abraham find their fulfilment all the way through the storyline of the Bible. We learn that all kinds of people become the people of God. We're, we're living proof, if you like, of these promises coming true. As we've come to Jesus from all kinds of backgrounds, we've become the people of God through faith in Jesus. And furthermore, kings did come from Abraham's family and Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's the one who gives life, the gift of God's spirit and the forgiveness of sins. And so as we make these links and think about the storyline of the Bible, we can see that we can trust in the promise of God, can't we? We can see that although Abraham laughed in the past about how God's going to give him a child of promise with Sarah in their ripe old ages, we can see that nothing's impossible for God and that God is faithful and he keeps his promises. And God gives the sign of the covenant between him and Abraham and the sign of his promises to be fulfilled. Well, as the people of the Lord Jesus, we can trust in God and his promises as well, can't we? I was thinking about the things that might be hard for us to trust God in. It was hard for Abraham as he thought about having an offspring, being an old digger. Um, what about us? What do we find hard to trust God in? Well, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples were looking 
into the sky at the ascension of Jesus. And you know what? They were reminded about that as a sign of things to come. They were reminded about the return of Jesus. We read in verse 11, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. The disciples were given a a sign of sorts. Jesus, taken into heaven, would come back the same way that he went. What they saw was a sign of things to come again, for Jesus to come and bring salvation. Now, as we think about trusting the Lord as well, this sometimes is hard for Christians to come to terms with, the return of the Lord Jesus. But from what we've seen of God's character and his faithfulness to his promises in the past, we can see that we can trust the Lord to return and take us to be with him as well. As we contemplate this promise to us, this sign that Jesus has gone away and he'll come back in the same way that he went, we can be confident that this will come true. We can be confident of the God who's said it in the past to bring about his plans and purposes and we can be confident as we look forward to the salvation that Jesus brings as well. So let us be among those who continue this week to be firmed up in our confidence in God who will bring about his plans and purposes. Be those who are confident in our future and looking forward to salvation when Jesus returns to bring salvation. Let us be those who press on this week with our faith in the goodness and the character of God. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for being a God who is faithful to keep his promises. We give you thanks that you've uh, made us your, you our God and that we're your people and that it comes through Jesus our Lord and Saviour. Lord God, we give you thanks that out of Abraham's family you've raised up a saviour so that all kinds of people could enjoy life with you and have that bond with you as, as being your people and having you as their God. And Lord, as we uh, stand in that uh, privileged position of knowing you as our God, we pray that you would help us to walk closely with you and have the obedience that comes from our faith in Jesus. Lord, we give you thanks that you've brought us into your family and we pray that you'd help us to persevere as we anticipate the fulfilment of your promises and the return of the Lord Jesus who brings salvation into the future. And we pray for your help to press on and to live well before you for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.